Let us pray. Lord, at this time we pause to hear what you have to say through your word. As it is about to be read, Lord, we pray that you bless the reading of it and that you bless the hearing of it, that the words will make their way into our hearts and that you will somehow move us and guide us into a more Christ-like people. Make us receptive and clear away all the distractions that may compete for our attention, that may sway us away from what it is you have to say to us today. Lord, let us hear what it is that you want us to hear, the things that the Holy Spirit can only whisper into our hearts. Bless this time that we have in your presence and in the presence of each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There still remains the the youngest. But behold, He is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're starting a new series today on the life of David. Now, I know that that's going to be a little bit tricky because so many of you are familiar with certain stories about David already. Um, Even the story of 
of David, David and Goliath is popular outside the church. I mean, everybody seems to know the story of David and Goliath. So we have to contend with that, with the familiarity that's in a lot of these stories. But I, I'm hoping that this study will give us a fresh look at David and, and particularly David's relationship with God and what we can learn about it. This series will be a little bit different because it'll go back and forth. We'll be doing uh, some the autobiographical stuff, the life of David. But then uh, occasionally there will be a sermon on one of David's psalms, which will indicate where David was during that time or during that season of his life. So uh, this, this should be an interesting series. I'm excited about it, but it will take us all the way to Christmas. Now, we have uh, sayings that we say, idioms um, that we're familiar with that pertain to the heart. Home is where the heart is. My heart's just not in it. Or uh, she stole my heart. We, we say these things sometimes without even really thinking about what we're saying. A lot of times these sayings were passed on to us. We inherited them or we've heard them so much we just kind of adopted them. But really what we're doing is we're saying that there's something deep down within us. It goes beyond just our thoughts. It goes beyond our bodies. It's something deep that involves our emotions and even our spirit. Something that is happening. And we all know this to be true or we wouldn't say things like that. Even when we say it in an offhand way, we are really saying that we are very affectionate about something. Whenever we, we start speaking about what the heart wants or what the heart feels. And that's because we know instinctively that there is something deep inside of us that yearns. Now, I'm going to give you three points today because we're, we're talking about David's heart condition, the condition of his heart. God said, I've looked at David's heart, and, and this is what I want. I've seen the others. I've seen his older brothers. They, to most people, look like kings, but God doesn't look at that. God looks at what's on the inside. God looks at the heart, and this is the one that I have chosen. So we're going to talk today about David's heart, and we're going to talk about the condition of his heart and what it means for us. But I'm going to give you three points. I don't always do three-point sermons. I know a lot of pastors do them, stick to them. It's like a formula, and it becomes almost uh, predictable. And for that reason, I usually don't do three-point sermons. But, but when I was reading this passage, three points came to mind, and so I want to give them to you. And I'll hope that if you have something to write with, maybe you'll jot them down. Maybe, maybe this will be of benefit to you. But the first point is, concerning your heart condition, your attention, your attention determines the condition of your heart. Your attention determines the condition of your heart. For David... He spent a lot of time in the pasture. He was a shepherd. Shepherds were sort of cut off from the community. He was even cut off from his family. He wasn't even invited to, uh, to go to the sacrifice with his brothers. So shepherds are kind of cut off, separated from everything. So David had a lot of opportunity to be alone with God and to give his attention to God. Now that doesn't mean that he had to. I mean, a lot of times we have a long time and we don't give our attention to God, right? But David chose to. David chose to spend time in prayer with God. And we know that because we see through the Psalms that David was a prayer. He was a poet. He, his heart was constantly in communication with God. That's where so many of our Psalms come from. And so when God says, I know of this guy that I want to be the king... 
He knew that there was someone who spent his time in the fields with his thoughts and his attention focused on God. Now, we live in a world where it's very hard for us to pull away to spend time alone with God. Things have gotten faster. Music has gotten louder. People have gotten busier. TV screens have gotten bigger. Everything seems to be competing for our attention and saying, look over here. No, look over here. No, look over here. ADD and ADHD, attention deficit disorder, is skyrocketing. And and I think it's so much of the culture. We can't focus on anything because there's always something else pulling our focus away. But yet, God wants us to devote our hearts and our attention to him. We can look at David and say, well, he had it easy. He didn't have television. He didn't have all these people competing for his attention. He was just out in the field, and he could spend time talking to God all day. True, but he made the most of his opportunity. Can we say the same thing? God gives all of us opportunity to pull away and spend time with him. But how faithful are we in doing so? You see, when we have time alone, one of two things can happen. We can either isolate or we can cultivate. We can become, we can grow apart more and more the more we are away from others. We can grow apart or we can grow our heart. We can grow closer to God and strengthen the condition of our heart. We can isolate or we can cultivate. David chose to cultivate his heart. And you see this through his, through his psalms, one of my favorite psalms. He says, Let's go, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He was, he was focusing his attention on God, and that was his prayer, that his attention would stay on God. And so when we have those times where we can break away, those times where we are alone, are we growing in isolation or are we cultivating? Are we growing our hearts? Are we conditioning them to be stronger for God? One thing that you can ask yourself whenever you're alone is what I'm doing right now self-indulgent or is it self-care? Spending time with God, spending time in prayer, spending time in scriptures, all of those things are self-care. They make us better people. Are we spending time on self-care or are we spending time being self-indulgent? And of course, the condition of your heart and and the matters of your heart don't just contain your thoughts, they contain your affections as well. So that brings us to the second point. Your affections reveal the condition of your heart. Your attention determines the conditions of your heart. Your affections reveal the condition of your heart. What do you desire? What do you long for? That idiom, home is where the heart is. That means that what I love, what I truly cherish, that's back there somewhere and that's home to me. Because that's where my affections lie. Where do our affections lie? One of the seven deadly sins is called avarice. And it's a strange-sounding word that basically means that we can never be satisfied because we're always wanting something else. We're always hungry for something to satisfy that emptiness, that new thing. And we're just constantly craving, we're constantly obtaining, pulling things in, and we're all trying to pull things in, trying trying to fulfill that hole. That's avarice. That's when our affections lie in the wrong place. And where David stumbled later in his life was when he tried to fulfill a void with something else that he he couldn't have. He got obsessed with trying to attain something that he couldn't have. 
and he fell into sin, and we'll get that get into that in the weeks ahead. But at this point, God looks at David's heart and says, He's a man after my own heart. We've heard that saying about David before. A man after God's own heart. What does that mean? That means David's heart followed God's heart. The things God wanted, David wanted. His affections were God's affections. You might be sitting here thinking, well, what if I struggle with that? What if I don't necessarily want the things God wants? What if I have addictions or cravings that I just can't turn off? I'll give you a a hint. I'll give you a tip. You can pray for the right affections. And that's a prayer that God will answer. I promise you. If you pray, God, help me love you more. Help me focus my thoughts on you more. God will answer that prayer. Every couple that I've ever counseled before they get married, I tell them, you're going to have to pray to fall deeper in love with your spouse as your marriage goes on. Because you can't possibly muster up that love in your heart all on your own day after day, day after day, day after day. You can't do it. It's impossible. And it's the same way with our relationship with God. We can't just say, I'm going to muster up the love for God. I'm going to muster up the affection and the desire to spend time with Him. You can't do it. You have to ask for help. You have to ask that God will make you more affectionate, that will give you the desires that match up with His desires. And He will never fail to answer that prayer. Every morning I wake up and and, and I I pray that God will help me love my wife in a new way, in a deeper way. And he has never disappointed me in that prayer. And it's the same way when we admit our relationship with him requires that same kind of grace. God, help me love you more. Help me love you in a deeper way. Give me a deeper longing and a deeper desire. And he will answer that. David said in another one of his psalms, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, on the surface, we hear that and we think, okay, that means do what God wants you to do, and then he'll give you what you want. That's not what it means. Delight yourself in the Lord means to take pleasure in doing God's will. To take pleasure in God. And then you will get the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart are God's desires. It's the Old Testament version of what Jesus said later. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't mean, okay, seek me first, do what I want first, and then I'll give you everything you want. It means invest your heart in me. And then you'll get your desires because your desires will be my desires for you. The third point is that your allegiance determines the strength of your heart. We all have, I guess, what could be classified as wavering allegiance. We have moments where we wane in our enthusiasm. We fall away. We drift away from God. We get tired. We go to sleep. We get lazy. Whatever it is. And we realize this. We kind of see it from the outside. I'm not where I should be. But yet we still don't have the strength to be where we should be. And a lot of that comes from the idea that we have to muster up our own strength. Again, we're dependent on grace for this. What it is, is we're crashing from a sugar high, most likely. You know what a sugar high is? My kids know it. You eat a lot of sugar, you get all wound up, sped up, and then a few hours later, you're just out. Either that or you're really whiny. 
We, we all experience sugar highs. They're like fads. They're like things that, that are, we're really into for a minute and then they fade away. They're kind of like bowl haircuts from the 1990s. Everybody wanted one, everybody had one for a little bit, and then they just faded away. We experience that so many times spiritually, where we get all on fire, we get pumped up, we're on fire for God, and then we burn out really quickly. It's the equivalent to going out in the street and running a sprint rather than pacing ourselves and going on a long jog. The condition of the heart is long-term if it's a healthy heart. That, that's, that's physically and that's spiritually. If you are going to train your heart physically, if you want to get in shape, you don't go out there and run a sprint and then say, I'm, I'm done, I'm tired. You walk or you jog and you do this day after day consistently and through the process you get stronger and you get stronger. And then God looks at you one day and says, that person's got a strong heart. I have plans for that person and I can use them. I can take them to the the land that I have in store for them because their heart is prepared to go to the place where I've prepared for them. Conditioning the heart is a gradual but consistent process. And the condition of our heart is vital. Very much so. It affects every area of our life. One of my favorite uh, preachers or writers, whatever uh, you refer to him, uh, was E.M. Bounds. He was a chaplain for the Confederate Army uh, during the Civil War. And then he was captured, was a POW, and became a minister to the Union Army as a, as a prisoner of war. And then after the Civil War, he, uh, he, he continued to preach and to write. And uh, one of the things that he wrote a lot on was prayer. And, and in one book, he, he was talking specifically to preachers and about how prayer was so important in the life of a preacher. And he said, preaching is not an hour of performance. It's an overflow from the heart. And there's been many times I've had to think about that because you can prepare a sermon and rehearse it and all that and come out and deliver it perfectly, but it's not authentic if it's not an overflow from the heart. That doesn't just go for preachers. That goes for all of us. The overflow of the heart is going to determine the direction of our lives. What kind of condition is our heart in? What kind of condition is our heart in? Are we ready to let that overflow into our lives? Because once we do, then God can direct us exactly where he wants us to go. We can have new life right now. There will always be pain, there will always be grief, there will always be death as long as we're here on earth. But we can still know God's blessing. We can still live into his will based on the condition of our heart. And that's what I want to point out here about David. David had no clue what the future held for him. When he was out there in the pasture with those sheep, he never imagined that he would be the king of Israel. All that was on his heart... All that was on his mind was his time with God. He was preparing his heart to be with God. And God looked at that and said, I've prepared someone to be the king of Israel. I've prepared the way for him. And the person I've chosen has prepared his heart for it. God was preparing something for David because David had prepared himself for God. And God doesn't just see the future. He sees into eternity. So whereas we might say, okay, I'm going to get myself right and then God can bless me. God knows when we're in it for the long haul, when we're conditioned for the marathon that he wants us to run. 
He chooses those with a heart that's made for the long haul. God saw David even as a young man in those, those fields, and he knew this guy has what it takes to be the future king of Israel. His thoughts are fixed on me. His affections are my affections. And his heart is strong. He's in it long term. So let's ask ourselves today, do we, like David, use our time to cultivate our hearts? Are we pursuing God's interests above our own? And are we growing in strength, faith, and allegiance to God day by day? It's my prayer for you and my prayer for myself that we will be able to answer yes because if you give that kind of attention to the condition of your heart, God will prepare a path before you and He will lead you into a lifetime of opportunities and blessings that we never could have imagined otherwise. Let us pray. Lord, we ask for the grace to condition our hearts. We ask for opportunities and time to spend with you. We ask for the perseverance and endurance, the wisdom and the discernment to make the most of those opportunities. And Lord, we ask that our desires will match yours. We ask that you give us the capacity to delight ourselves in you. That our hearts, like David, will follow your heart. That your longings and your affections will become our longings and our affections. And all of those things that we are in love with that are not of you, Lord, help us fall out of love with those. And help us to fall deeper in love with you day by day. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to use our time to cultivate, to grow, not to isolate. Lord, bless the time that we have here on earth. Let us experience your blessing, your promise, your will right now, even as we live, even as we tarry in this broken world. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is near to the heart of God. It's hymn number 472 in the United Methodist Hymnal. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward and share that with us. As a reminder, the altar is always open if you wish to spend some time there. But please stand if you are able. Join us in singing hymn number 472, Near to the Heart of God.